We'll be in James chapter 3. Uh, the outline is in the bulletin this morning. The sermon outline you can also find on version. Um, so go there if you want to follow along. Once upon a time, there was a large group of bears who were walking through the woods together. Two of the bears suddenly fell into a deep pit. The other bears were not very helpful. They began to share discouraging words with those bears who'd fallen into the pit. You know, bears aren't very good at jumping. You're never going to get out of there. It's hopeless. Give up. Quit. You're just going to die down there at the bottom of the hole. But the bears jumped and jumped and jumped some more and tried with all of their might to jump out of that hole, but the bears up above continued. See, it's of no use. You're never getting out of there. You might as well give up. Eventually those words got to one of the bears and he just gave up, quit, collapsed on the ground and died. The other bear, however, despite the shouts from up above, continued jumping and jumping. And they were still waving their bare arms and shouting, Give up, you're not going to make it. And finally, though, he got up there. He made it out of the pit. And the other bears were amazed. And, and they said to him, Didn't you hear us? Didn't we discourage you? Didn't you hear everything that we were saying? And he said, Actually, I'm deaf. I could see you guys shouting and waving your arms, and I thought you were cheering me on. I thought you were encouraging me. You gave me the strength to get out. I'm not really sure what the moral of the story is, but maybe it has something to do with the power of our words, how we can pull someone out of the pit. We can comfort somebody. We can encourage somebody. We can inspire somebody. Or we can make things worse. Our words can pull them up or our words can throw them down into the bottom of that pit. So we need to take very seriously how we use our words. And that's all about what James has to say this morning in James chapter 3. Um, last week, I called my folks back in Missouri. I usually do that once or twice a week just to check on them, see how they're doing down there in the Ozarks. And, and so, among other things, we like to talk about how the sermon went last week and then what I'm going to talk about this week. And, and I told them we're going to talk about words, the power of speech. And my dad, on the other end of the line, he just started quoting something. It sounded like a poem. And it turns out he started quoting these lines from this... Omar Khayyam is his name, an ancient... Persian mystic and philosopher, the lines of this poem that go like this. The moving finger writes, and having writ, moves on. Nor all the piety, nor wit, shall lure it back to cancel half a line nor all thy tears wash out a word of it. You can't get those words back, can you? How many times have I said something on Monday only to spend the entire rest of the week trying to undo what I said? 
how powerful our words are, the conversations that we share, the things that we text, the letters or notes that we write, they can do terrific or terrible things, can't they? Words are forces for good or ill in the lives of those around us and will have a great impact on our success or journey uh, or failure in our own journey of life. And in fact, according to James, if you or I, if a human being was able to control this muscle up here, the mouth, the tongue, if you were able to get a handle on your words, if you were able to manage your mouth, you could control your entire life. He says in verse 2 of chapter 3, If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to control or able to keep his whole body in check. You can take care of everything else. You can handle anything that comes. You can manage all of it if you can control your tongue, James says. And just so we're clear, he doesn't expect that you'll be able to do that, okay? Let's be clear. He's a sinner. He made mistakes. He knows we are too. In fact, I just quoted you the last part of verse 2. The first part he says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. That deserves an amen. <laughs> I stumble. You stumble. James knows that we struggle with what we say. One reason it's so hard for us to control what we say is volume. And I'm not talking about the loudness with which you talk. Volume, the quantity of words that you say. I came across a University of Arizona study this week that said that you, on average, speak 16,000 words a day. 16,000 words a day. A day. You, every two and a half days, you are speaking a book of words, okay? A few years back, I published that book, Epic Fail, and my publisher, Leafwood Press, told me at the beginning, they said this book needs to come out around forty to 50,000 words. That's the word count we're looking for, Forty to 50. Well, you're going to speak that in two and a half days. The volume of words that we say, and that gets us in a lot of trouble, doesn't it? Most folks will spend about 20% of their lives in conversation. You will likely have, on average, 30 conversations a day. And maybe this is why the most direct and frank counsel in the Bible, and it is repeated multiple times for you and I, about our communication, less is more. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23 recommends this. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. <laughs> How about Proverbs 10, verse 19? Let's read this one aloud together. Proverbs 10, verse 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's good, man. And I don't know if you remember week one in this Life Hack series we're doing. Week one, we were in James chapter one. Remember what James said in James chapter one? He said, be quick to hear, 
and slow to slow to speak. Yeah, so it's all over the Bible. Be slow to speak. And he begins chapter 3 by talking to people like me. And it's kind of scary, honestly. He says, the ministry of preaching, the ministry of teaching is dangerous. Beware of that ministry. I have to say a lot of stuff this morning to you about a lot of important issues. And next week, I have to get up and say a lot more stuff to you about a lot of important issues. The pure volume of that is dangerous. And I'm talking to a large group this morning. If you're a preacher or a teacher, not only are you, by just the mathematics of it, saying a lot of stuff, but you're saying a lot of stuff to a lot of people and generally about a lot of important matters. And so the risk of doing harm is like so much greater. And so James says, just don't be so eager maybe to be in one of those roles. Um, thanks, James. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 1. This is chapter 3. I think it's wrong on the outline there. But chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. One more thing about the power of words in the Scriptures. Thank you, John Scott. It's amazing how the Lord works on a Sunday morning and how he puts things together. But the scripture reading that John Scott picked out today, that Psalm 33, I don't know if you caught it, the theme of that was God speaking the world into existence, of God speaking the stars into existence. By the power of his word, worlds were created. And by the power of our words, worlds are created or destroyed. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And through that Word, the universe was made. So our words can build or destroy. They can inspire or incite. They can elevate or denigrate. And this morning, my prayer, my hope is that the Holy Spirit will just move in us to recognize the power of our words and will move in us to think very carefully about how we use that power. And yes, for James, it starts with a simple realization. Your words have an incredible impact on the world around you, the culture of your workplace, your home, your Facebook followers, what you say actually does matter, and you may not think it does, but your words are adding up to something, are making a difference for good or ill. So don't underestimate the power of your words, and James is going to give you three reasons in chapter 3. For starters, don't underestimate the power of your words because I know my words direct my path in life. They direct my path forward in life. They will steer where I'm going, like the rudder of a ship or like a bit in a horse's mouth. He says in verse 2, if we could control 
our tongues. So manage them. If we could steer our tongues, then we could also control ourselves. We could control our entire lives, James says. They steer us. So if you could be word perfect, if you could get it right every time with what you say, then you wouldn't mess up in life. Everything else would fall into line, James says. So that's part of the impact of my words. The second thing, and we know this because we've blown it before, is that my words can destroy my world. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message, verses 5 and 6, translates it like this. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. So a while back, um, my brother-in-law is here this morning from Oklahoma Christian, and you guys, and Patty, and you guys would know exactly who I'm talking about. He was one of my favorite professors at Oklahoma Christian, late 80s, early 90s when I was there. And I went back just a few years back to visit up there, and I was sitting in his office, sat on his couch in his office, and he, had, he was in the middle of a battle with cancer, very serious, and I just wanted to check in on him and stuff. And I'm sitting there on the couch in his office, and he has this plaque. I mean, lots of plaques and awards and stuff for teaching and all sorts of stuff. He had this plaque, and it was one of these really nice ones, like etched metal kind of things and I could tell etched in there was the Bible building at Oklahoma Christian and then etched on one of the corners was a person it was a face of a man who looked very much like former Soviet dictator Nikita Khrushchev <laughs> cruel and ruthless man who was really a thorn in our side as Americans through a good portion of the Cold War Nikita Khrushchev and I decided to share that observation I said, so why do you have a plaque of Nikita Khrushchev hanging on the wall of your office? He got very quiet for 10 or 15 seconds and said, that's a memorial to my father who passed away a few years ago. Nice. Uh, remember that proverb that talked about those proverbs that talked about keeping your mouth shut mm. well finally when it comes to the power of our words the third bullet point there is my words demonstrate who I really am at some point they're going to give me up at some point they're going to tell you no matter how hard I work no matter how much effort I work at saying exactly the right thing to manage all of your perceptions at some point they're going to blow it for me aren't they and that's chapter 3 verses 9 to 10 he uses the example of a forest fire he uses the example of of a spring of water how uh, like imagine an artesian spring water just bubbling out of the ground and and it's pure and it's delightful and it's clean and it's refreshing and that spring is not going to suddenly begin spewing out nasty water it's a good spring but then there's a spring over here that is spewing out nasty water it's sour it's bitter it's poisonous and it's not going to suddenly begin spewing out pure water the tongue he says is like that it's going to be true to the heart I mean, at some point, 
If you got Flint, Michigan water inside of you, it's going to come out in the way you speak. That bitterness, that poison will spew out. Um, eventually, that will ex be exposed. And so Jesus, who is the brother of James, by the way, Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, you've probably heard this verse before, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. All right. Now, before he addresses anything else about our speech, James wants us to understand that. Look, the impact in exposing who we really are, in building or destroying our world, in steering us this way or that way. He says, just know the impact that your words have. And we're reminded of that on a regular basis, aren't we? The impact our words have. A few weeks ago, so we're... As a family, well, we've already decided, but we were deciding where are we going to go for spring break, right? Isla and I really wanted to take a cool trip this year. Had a, several different destinations in mind, and we're sitting around the dinner table one night. It's me, it's Isla, it's my son David, it's my daughter Claudia, who's about to graduate from high school. And we're talking about, how about this destination? How about this destination? How about San Francisco? How about Washington, D.C.? How about a lot of other places? Where do you guys want to go? And the kids were like, eh. It's okay if we travel. It's okay if we just stay here and kind of rest and veg out and stuff in Dallas. And I said, guys, I said, I mean, if we do that, I'm, I'm going to work all week. For starters, we won't be taking a trip together. I said, also, my daughter's a senior in high school. I said, this may be the last spring break trip we ever get to take together as a family. I go back to cutting and eating my grilled chicken, waiting for somebody to say something. Isla is crying. <laughs> Claudia is crying. David is not crying. He's fine. <laughs> but I was just thinking, not that I would take that back, not that I said anything wrong, but I was just a reminder, reminder to me as a father of the impact my words have. So let's bring that home. We're going to talk this morning. James is going to bring us to four different commitments that we can make, kind of filters for our speech that can really help us. And, and to be clear, we're talking about if you're a disciple of Jesus. If you're not, I think this stuff is still helpful to you. But I don't expect you to embrace the teachings of Christ and the teachings of James if you're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, think very seriously about these commitments that we're called to in using this powerful tool of our voice, of our words. They're simple commitments, but they are commitments, meaning they're not just easy. They don't just come naturally to us. So why would you go to the trouble? Well, James is hoping, I think, that when we see and appreciate the impact of our words in building our future, in leading us to success or failure, in influencing the world around us, in steering the lives of those um, in, in whose lives we have some degree of influence, he hopes that when we see the massive benefit to us of handling our speech, that we'll take these commitments upon ourselves. So let's just pray over this before we go any farther. Let's bow our heads. This is very relevant, I think, to all of us, Father. And we do 
very much need your help, lots of your help. And so, Holy Spirit, we do not want you this morning to let us off the hook. Challenge us. Change us. Help us to become Christ-like in the ways that we communicate with each other, with our families, with co-workers, with the world around us that has not yet come to faith. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus, the Word. Amen. So here goes. Commitment number one. This is on your outline this morning. In a world of exaggeration, self-promotion, and deception, I will be truthful and honest in what I say. Am I exaggerating that, by the way? Do we live in a world of self-promotion? Do we live in a world of deception? Do we live in a world of... Yeah, of course we do. And not just in an election year. We live in that world all the time. As a nation, obviously, we are trying to select a president right now. And just think, I, I just want you to imagine, <laughs> what would it be like... How much better would it be if all of our candidates on both sides were to say, you know that commitment there? I'm going to own that commitment. I'm going to follow that commitment. James says in verse 14, here it is. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Be honest. Be straightforward. Be considerate, yes. Be honest, though. But the point this morning is not to criticize politics, right? That would be way too easy. Um, honestly, it's the way the world has worked for thousands and thousands of years. The point this morning is to talk to you and I, to talk to us as disciples of Jesus, as those who claim Him as our Lord the point is to think about doing things a different way, a way that honors Him and a way that cares for His most precious creation, people. Um, honesty, truthfulness, being considerate and straightforward in the way I, I speak to others, that is the very first filter that I need to run my words through. The second one is no less important. Number two, in a world of snap judgments... I will show compassion and forgiveness because I know everyone struggles to control their speech. Verse 2, we all make mistakes. If we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. We all make mistakes. Thank you, James, we do. And James is not telling you that. Listen, he's not telling you, we all make mistakes to let you off the hook. He's not, he's not telling you that to say, yeah, your gossip problem, that's fine. We all make mistakes. Your problem lying and exaggerating, no problem. You're, you're only human. He's telling you that so that you can understand that the people you interact with they very likely will not share that same commitment to filter, to honor Christ with their words that you have, and even you stumble. I mean, even we stumble. But that we would have a degree of grace and mercy and space 
in the way we react to what other people say, not expecting them to be perfect because James tells us what we already know. They're not. They're going to stumble. And so here's, what, here's what's going to... I'm not a prophet, but here's what's going to happen this week. So the Holy Spirit is working through the Word this morning through James chapter 3. And you're being moved by God to make a change or a commitment. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to filter my speech. I'm not going to be self-promoting and, and use the truth loosely. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to be considerate of others. I'm going to give people space. I'm going to honor Christ in the way I, I text, in the way I Facebook, in the way I have conversation with other people. You're making these commitments. That's good. That's right. And then this afternoon, you're going to get on Facebook. Or Twitter. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work. And then all of a sudden, boom, you are going to be hit with something someone says that is not kind, that is not truthful, or that is self-promoting. You're going to be hit with that with someone who's not committed to using their words to build and to heal. And this is the point where you get to make this decision. Will this beautiful God project... Am I going to put that on pause so that I can let that zinger go? So that I can make that sarcastic observation? So that I can criticize the boss or tell that dirty little secret I know about somebody else? Am I going to put the God project on, on pause so that I can do that or am I going to humbly remember to show grace? Because as James has reminded me, I know everybody struggles. They're not always going to say the right thing, the decent thing, the dignified thing. So just show some grace there. Number three, commitment number three. And this one is so, wow, this feels so contemporary, right? In our age of social media, here goes. Number three, in a world where people are constantly airing out their opinions and judgments, my commitment is I'm going to think before I speak. I'm going to think before I speak. So listen up, this is from... James chapter 1, verse 19, and this is the translation again from the message. I like this one. Post this at all the intersections. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And then way back there, the straggler, way back there, let anger straggle along in the rear. Things go a whole lot better when we lead with our ears. And it would be so easy, so convenient to think, well, you know, I am who I am. This is really, honestly, this message this morning, I hear it, it's good. Thank you, James, for all of that. But my personality, my temperament, I'm just, I am who I am. Um, so I'm just going to keep being me. Hmm, nice try. We need to be very clear on this. You can control what you say. You absolutely can control what you say. 
I know, you, I know this has happened to you. It's happened to me. You've been having a fight with somebody at home before. You and your wife are getting into it or you're, you're, you're yelling at the dog or something. The phone rings. You pick it up. Hello. How am I? Honey, it's for you. You do that. You can control what you say. I, I've been watching you for the last hour or so that we've been in here. You've been able to keep your mouth shut at the right times, except for the, the say, 10-month-old, you know. Uh, you've, been, you, you've been using your words to sing praises to God, to speak Scripture aloud. We had a little 30-second greeting time, and I, I saw you loving on people. You can do it! <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a sample here. I've seen you do it. You can control what it is that you're saying. Number four, finally. In a, world, in a world of negativity, I will use words that honor and build others up. Verses 16 and 17, James says this. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, peace-loving, gentle, at all times, and willing to yield to others. So this is the commitment that I'm going to take on as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. I will use what I say to help people grow, to, to comfort them, um, to encourage them. Um, and to wrap up, I, wanna, I don't want to skip over the two images that James uses, um, two very I think very compelling images. The one is of the rudder of a ship, uh, and, the, and the other is of a bit in a horse's mouth. Two images. James is like, isn't it interesting the disproportionate impact the tongue has on the rest of your life? Okay? He says, think of it like this. Um, this giant transatlantic liner, an oil tanker, a cruise ship floating off across the ocean is being controlled by this one relatively small rudder in the back that's taking it this way or this way. That's taking it toward the destination harbor or right into that iceberg, okay? He says, think about a horse, massive, powerful animal. You get the bridle on there, you get the reins, and all of a sudden you are able to control that animal, steer that animal, manage, direct that animal with this one measly piece of metal in the animal's mouth. Verses 3 to 5, James says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. A small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, disproportionate impact on your life, on your destination. So what we've been talking about this morning, it's not just churchy, religious-y stuff. I mean, this is stuff that really will have a bearing on how your day goes tomorrow on how your week goes, on how your career progresses, on how your marriage progresses. This stuff really matters. Um, how you manage your, your mouth, <laughs> it will make you or break you. A relatively small rudder. 
a relatively small bit. So the message this morning is an invitation to harness your words, to harness that power, and to use that to prosper your relationships, to harness it so that you can take yourself and those that go with you to life, not death. A few years back, honestly, it's, it's been more than, I guess, a few years, because we were back in Brazil, and my daughter is about to graduate high school. She was six years old, I think. We went on vacation in Brazil when we were living there to a hotel fazenda. So basically, a hotel that was on a working ranch, because my daughter loved horses. All girls love horses, okay? So we took her to this ranch where she was going to be able to ride horses. And it was pretty scary for me to see my little six-year-old daughter sitting on top of this massive horse. And it was just her and the horse. There was nobody steering this horse around. It was her holding these reins on this horse. She'd gotten a little lesson from the guy there and the cowboy there, the gaushu. And then she starts going around the field. And my little daughter is turning this horse to the right and to the left. My little daughter is making this horse go and is making this horse stop. It was really impressive to see. Didn't have any problems at all directing this immense animal to go wherever she wanted it to go. Just by controlling this. So, exact same thing with us and with our tongue. Exact same thing. This is the life hack that James is talking about in chapter 3. Your words can take you forward. Your words can hold you up. Your words can steer you over here or steer you over here. They They can take you forward or they can stop you from making any progress whatsoever in that area of your life. So, will you, back to these commitments... Will you, in a world of exaggeration and self-promotion and deception, will you choose to be truthful and honest? Will you, in a world of snap judgments, easy criticism, will you show grace to others because you understand, like all of us, they struggle. They're not always going to say the right thing. And you don't have to get in there with them, okay? You can show grace and you can stay out of that. Will you commit to think before you speak? Will you use words that honor other people and that build other people up? When you live, as I do, as we all do, in a world surrounded by negativity... Those are the commitments. Um, If you need prayers about that, if there's something else going on in your life or the life of somebody you care about, we would invite you to pray over that. Uh, Maybe it's just with the person sitting next to you on the pew or your family or your small group or your connection class. Just pray over that or come pray with me, one of our shepherds. Obviously, I do want to extend this bigger, larger invitation as well. Jesus died for you. He knows you're a sinner. Um, He died so that your sins could be dealt with once and for all. And he is inviting you to cross the line of faith to wear all that he won for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
be baptized into that and begin walking in this new life. If that's what you need to do today, we'd love to help you with that as well. Let's be standing. Let's respond and praise.